0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would please take out your Bibles now and turn in them to the book of Hebrews and chapter number four. Hebrews chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turning it in the back to 171, page 171, and you would be at Hebrews chapter 4. Now while you're on your way there, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there anybody here who needs help? Anybody who needs help? Anybody who needs help living the Christian life? Anybody out there? Anybody who needs help when it comes to being a consistent follower of Jesus? Do you need help with your relationships? Maybe you have an ornery teen, or maybe a difficult mate, or maybe you have very needy elderly parents, or maybe there's just a cantankerous person in your life. It may be somebody at work. It may be a neighbor. It may be somebody at school. It may be somebody in your family. Recently, I came across this book title. Here's the title of the book. Life would be easy if it weren't for other people. Yeah, how true that is. you need help with your relationships? Anybody here need help with adversity and difficulty? Maybe you're feeling that very thing today, and you're feeling just pressed in by the circumstances. Whenever any of us are there, we're all going to quickly agree, I need help. Maybe you need help with everyday choices. How about that one? Do you need help with that? When it comes to the daily choices, the weekly choices we make, to make choices for righteousness rather than unrighteousness, to make eternal choices rather than temporal choices, to choose His glory over my desires. Anyone need help in that area? Does God know that we need help? And the answer is, of course. Has He left us helpless? And the answer to that is no. In fact, we're going to see from Hebrews chapter 4 that it tells us there that God provides grace to help us in time of need. We are not only saved by grace, we are called to live by grace. And by the way, that is a revolutionary truth. If you haven't gotten a firm grip on it yet, you need to. We're not only saved by grace, we're called to live by grace. Grace is the key to forgiveness and salvation. Grace is the key to assurance of salvation. And grace is the key when it comes to daily dependence for living the Christian life you're familiar with the letters of the new testament you'll know paul especially in his greeting or maybe in the closing of his letter he would use this phrase grace be with you for example in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 28 he writes the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you because we need that ongoing grace We've been involved in a series of messages this fall we have entitled Amazing Grace. And we have said that at times grace is misunderstood and frequently it is underappreciated. But it is what distinguishes biblical Christianity from every other religious system. And we've said very clearly that our goal in this study is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, so far, We've covered a number of topics. And by the way, you ought to get a hold of those messages. You can do them through our website. and get a podcast or, or download the MP3. We've looked at the God of amazing grace. We've seen that God was a God of grace from the very, very beginning, all the way back to the opening pages of the Bible. We've looked at the amazing grace of salvation. We've looked at the security of amazing grace. We looked at that last week. Today, we're going to be investigating our ongoing need for amazing grace. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read the very last verse of the chapter, and you can follow along as I'm reading. It says there, "'Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy.'" and find grace to help in time of need. Now, our plan today is a very simple one. It only has two parts to it. The first thing we're going to do today is to look at our ongoing need for amazing grace. We're going to mine that a little further. And then the second thing we're going to look at is the sufficiency of His amazing grace. So it's very simple. We're going to look at our ongoing need for amazing grace and then we're going to look at the sufficiency of His amazing grace. So let's begin by looking at the first item, and that is our ongoing need for amazing grace. You know, grace is not a one-time need. Not only are we saved by grace, we are called to live by grace. And somehow, though, that seems to just sort of fade away from the frontal part of our thinking. You remember the great, great anthem, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. And one of the things when you look at that is you come to understand that he understood not only that we're saved by grace, but we're called to live by grace. Remember the words of that? First stanza, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He's celebrating how we are saved by grace. In the next stanza, it says, T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. He's talking about being saved by grace. But notice what comes out in the next stanza of the song. He says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. He's talking about his life after he was saved by grace. And he says, and grace will lead me home. He's celebrating here how we are called to live by grace. You know, we did not earn salvation by the power of our flesh or by our own efforts. We we went over that a couple of weeks ago. We do not earn salvation by the power of our flesh and our own efforts. It's also true that we do not live the Christian life by the power of our flesh and by our own efforts. Take a little closer look at verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Notice what he writes there. He says, let us draw near. That little phrase, draw near, in the original language is what's called a present tense. The idea is that there's ongoing action. We could translate it, let's keep on drawing near, over and over again drawing near. Let us keep on drawing near with confidence, See, God knows that we need daily help, that we need hourly help. He knows that. So we can keep on drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace. What a beautiful picture that is. You see, the grace flows from the throne of Jesus Let us keep on drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace so that, this is why we do it, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We keep on doing this. This is a repeating thing that we do because God knows that we need this daily and hourly help, and flowing from his throne is this grace that will help us in our time of need, this divine enablement. And this ongoing grace of God is like the manna in the Old Testament. You remember the manna in the Old Testament? Well, there was a new supply of it every day. And that is provided by God because of this ongoing need That we have. Turn several books to the left in your Bible to the book of Acts. Acts is in front of Romans, so if you can find Romans, you can find Acts. And I want us to look at Acts chapter 13, verses 42 and 43. What's happening in Acts chapter 13 is the very first missionary journey um, by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas is with him. And we know that as they went out on this missionary journey, of course, they were presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were communicating to people that we are saved by grace through faith. But they also, as people came to trust in Christ, were having to train them in the Christian life. And I want you to notice what goes on here. By the way, in the early stages of ministry, they would go to the synagogue And they would begin to teach in the synagogue, and that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas do on this first missionary journey. They show up at the synagogue where there's a respect for the Word of God, and they begin to communicate it. So notice it says in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. In other words, the people were very receptive to the biblical truth that he was communicating. Verse 43... Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. See, there were many who embraced the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And they were following Paul and Barnabas and following Christ. But notice what I was saying about Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, these new believers in Christ... They were urging them to, what does it say next? Continue in the grace of God. He was teaching those early converts. Grace is not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing need, and you need to continue in the grace of God. Turn back in the right a little bit in your Bible, a couple of books over to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 15. We're looking at our ongoing need for God's amazing grace. And in chapter 15, verse 10, we have a verse that may be familiar to many of us. It's really a testimony verse by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was the one who'd been a persecutor of the church and yet had come face to face with the person of Christ and had been converted and and marvelously changed. And now he was the leading promoter of faith in Christ. So he says in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I wouldn't be who I am today, he says, if it wasn't for the transforming grace of God. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. So he's talking about, again, initially coming to know Christ. But that's not all he's talking about here. Notice he goes on to say, I labored even more than all of them. As he came to faith in Christ, he worked harder than any of the other spiritual leaders. That's what he's saying. But then he adds this interesting phrase, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He's talking about the power of enablement to live the Christian life. Yes, I came to know Christ by grace. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. But I was outworking everyone else, but it really wasn't just me. It was the power of divine enablement. It was the grace of God that was with me. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not. Have you noticed the fact that God does not promise as followers of Jesus to liberate us from all problems? Have you noticed that yet? Have you noticed that he hasn't promised to shield us from all difficulty in our life? And the reason why is he has a divine plan to use those problems and use those difficulties to mold us, to shape us, to grow us, and develop us. You see, he could just say, hey, all your problems be gone, But that's not part of his plan because he wants to use those things in our life to mold us and shape us, to grow us, to develop us to be more like the person of Christ. You see, God's plan is not to solve all our problems, never has been. But God's plan is to provide sustaining grace in the midst of those problems. His plan is not to remove the pressure from our life, but to give us the power to endure the pressure that he allows to come into our life. He never promises to give us all that we want because we really want an easy life, most naturally. But he does promise to give us all that we need. One of the things I've observed over all of the years I've been involved with the Christian community is that there are, sadly, so many people out there who know Christ personally, who embraced salvation by grace through faith, but when it comes to living their life, they are misguided. They're seeking to gut it out, to to churn it out in the power of the flesh. And if you do that, and I can speak from experience, ultimately it leads to despair. And ultimately it leads to utter discouragement. And I think that's partly why you see some people who come and they embrace Christ, and yet then they're trying to gut out and to churn out the Christian life and the power of the flesh, and they get so discouraged, they just sort of drift back from the church and drift back from the Word of God. See, the Christian life is designed by him to be a life of dependency, dependency on the ongoing grace of God. And the top direct source of the grace of God in the life of a believer is the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is why in the Bible it says that we are to walk by the Spirit. The picture is walking in dependence on the Spirit of God. And it is through the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit to reside in you the moment you trust in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, he gives to us grace for whatever place he allows us to be in. In 2 Corinthians 3.5, Paul says this, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but notice that last phrase, but our adequacy is from God. He says, listen, when it comes to living this thing out called the Christian life, the adequacy for doing that doesn't come from us. The adequacy is from God. I like the way the New Living Translation treats 2 Corinthians 3.5. It says this, It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success comes from God. You see, this is not something that we churn out on our own. We need His ongoing grace in our life. And so if that's where you are right now, and I don't know where people are coming from today... But if that's where you are, where you're just trying to gut it out, you're trying to churn it out, the biblical counsel that I would give to you is stop doing that. Stop trying to gut it out. Stop trying to churn it out. Instead, we are called to live by faith. Not just embrace salvation by faith, but live by faith. What does that mean? It means that we depend on and rely on His grace on a daily, hourly fashion. That is, men and women, our ongoing need for His amazing grace. But I got good news for you. We have a very clear need, but the good news is the sufficiency of His amazing grace. That's the good news. We have a great need. But the cool thing is, in light of our need, is that his grace is fully sufficient. Turn one uh, book further in the right in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we want to look at verses 7 to 10. And in this, we have another testimony from the apostle Paul. And you notice in chapter 12, verse 7, he says, "...because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations." Now, what's he, what's he talking about there? Well, remember that he came to know Jesus Christ in a personal experience with him. And Jesus Christ personally taught him. And if you remember what Paul teaches, he actually got transported up into heaven and was in the theology classes of heaven. And he was given, really, the the greatest mass of revelation that anyone ever received in the New Testament era. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I received, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. You know how we all are when we've experienced something really grand. The first immediate response is to stick our chest out and go, yeah, that all happened because... I am especially a wonderful person. And he says, because of these great revelations that I received, in order to keep me from being arrogant, that's being very real, isn't it? He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. That little phrase there, a thorn in the flesh, is is a very graphic little phrase. It refers to a pointed stick. We might translate it, a big splinter. You ever gotten a big splinter? And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from becoming arrogant, there was given to me this big splinter, We don't really know what it was. We know that it was a messenger of Satan. In other words, Satan was behind wanting to inflict him with this. We know that God allowed it to happen. We know that the purpose behind this coming into his life was to keep him from being arrogant. We don't know exactly what it was. It was some sort of a weakness, some sort of hardship. Some would theorize from the book of Galatians that he had some kind of an eye disease, but he doesn't really tell us. But he says that this big splinter came into my life. And he says in verse 8, concerning this, I implored, that's a pretty strong verb, the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, if you think this was just one of those things like, uh, Lord, take away the big splinter, on oh, that later, Lord, uh, take away the big splinter, now one more time would you take away it? I don't think it went like this. I think he's talking about three seasons of intense prayer where he said, Lord, take this away from me. I don't like this. I can't handle this. Take it away. Take it away. And then there was a second season of that. Then there was a third season of that. And notice the response he got back from God. God said, no. I'm not taking away the big splinter. But, Paul, I'm not going to leave you powerless. I'm not going to leave you hopeless. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And he goes on to say, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, you can, imagine, can you believe he got to this point where he says, I'm well content with weaknesses and with insults and with distresses, and with persecutions, and with difficulties in my life, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I've actually gotten to where I understand that even though I'm going through all this stuff, He gives me the grace to handle it. He gives me the grace for whatever place He puts me into. And His promise to me, is he will empower me and sustain me through the situation. That is the sufficiency of his amazing grace. And This is not just some sort of ethereal, theoretical stuff. This is real. You know, a lot of the songs that we've sung traditionally over the years in the church have have come out of real-life situations. At the age of 26, Lena sandel Berg was accompanying her father on a ship across Lake Vatern in Sweden en route to the city of Gothenburg. So Lena and her dad were on this ship. And they were near the edge of the ship when suddenly there was this huge lurch in the ship And Lena's father, who was a devout follower of Christ, fell overboard and drowned right there in the rough seas before the eyes of his daughter. And from her broken heart of that experience, she wrote a song. And that song is called Day by Day. And what I want you to notice in this song as we look at the lyrics is her experience of the ongoing grace of God. Notice it. She writes, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials. Here, what's she talking about there? She's talking about the grace of God. She says, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. She's talking about the grace of God. I have no cause or worry or for fear she goes on in the song to write he whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best lovingly it part of pain and pleasure mingling toil with peace and rest what is the rest that comes in the midst of great adversity that's the grace of god The next stanza goes, every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. That is the grace of God. She's talking about this ongoing grace of God. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is counselor and power. She's talking about the grace of God and the power and the enablement that he gives. And then in the last stanza, it says, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, your strength shall be in measure. She's talking about the grace of God. This the pledge he made to me. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 in verse nine, God said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you." He was talking about the power of Christ inside of us. And he said, "What God whispered to me was, "It is sufficient. it is sufficient. Every day, it is sufficient all the time." Men and women, that's why it is biblical when we're dealing with difficult situations and we're in the middle of adversity, when we're trying to make the right choices, for us just to say to God, I cannot do this. I cannot handle this. This is way too overwhelming. Get the big splinter out of my life. Biblical to say, I cannot do that, but to say, God, you can. You can in and through me. Nothing wrong to say I cannot, but we need to go on and say, but you can, God. Your grace is sufficient. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul said this. He says, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Have you ever studied his life, the things he went through? And you think you have it tough? that I have it rough. And his testimony was, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. It was fully sufficient. The abundancy of the sufficiency of God's grace. The abundance, the abundance of the sufficiency of His grace was summed up well by a quote by Kenneth Wiest, and I, and I love this. I want to read it to you. Let's listen to what it says. There is enough grace in God's heart of love to save and keep saved for time and eternity, every sinner that ever has or ever will live, and then enough left over to save a million more universes full of sinners, were there such, and then even some more. There's enough grace available to give every saint constant victory over sin, and then some more. There's enough grace to meet and cope with all the sorrows, the heartaches, the difficulties, the temptations, the testings, and the trials of human existence, and more added to that. His grace is all-sufficient. It is equal to every emergency, for it flows from the heart of an infinite God, freely bestowed and righteously given through the all-sufficient sacrifice of our Lord on the cross, trust God's grace. It is superabounding grace. In Romans 8:32, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, delivered him over for us all. He died for you. He gave his son. How will he? not also with him, freely give us all things. That little phrase, freely give us, is the verbal form of grace. Think about it. If he didn't spare his son in dying for you, will he not grace us with all the things that we need to live the life he's called us to live? Certainly he will. His grace is sufficient for you and for me so the question is, do you need help? And the answer, of course, is yes. But we need to remember and believe what he says. We need to remember and believe, number one, that he gives grace for whatever place he puts us in. And you may be in a difficult one right now. But he gives grace for whatever place he places ourselves in, and then his grace is sufficient. See, that's summarizing what we've looked at. He gives grace for whatever place we're in, and his grace is sufficient. Now, especially we feel needy when we're face-to-face with adversity. I want you to think for just a moment about the last time you were face-to-face with adversity. Remember what God communicated to Paul. I have a plan. The plan is to mold you, to shape you, to grow you, and to develop you. Andrew Murray was a great writer and um, a great communicator. There was a time in his life when he was suffering from a very, very painful back. And someone came to him and just said to him, what do you say to someone who's going through an experience like you're going through? And I love what his reply was. This is real life testimony. He says this, in time of trouble, say first, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this place and in that I will rest. Next." Say, he will keep me here in his love. And what did he say? Give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. See, he understood that. Then he goes on to say this he says, Third, then say, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn. And notice the phrase again, working in me the grace that he means to bestow. See, Andrew Murray understood what this was like experientially. And then he went on to say, and last, fourth, say, in his time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. And then summarizing it all up, he says, therefore, say, I am here, one, by God's appointment, two, in his keeping, three, under his training, four, for his time, and I would add, with grace for the place. We're going to talk about life application. It would be simply this. As we live the Christian life and as we face adversity, what we need to do is by faith go over and over again to the throne of grace. We do that through an attitude of prayer. And we say to God, God, I need your grace for the place. And I want to thank you that you've promised to provide it. And I want to thank you that your grace is sufficient. It's ultimately so simple but so incredibly profound. I would like to ask the worship team to come on up we're going to sing a closing song. But we need to remember that the just shall live by faith. What does that really mean? It means that we believe what he says about our ongoing need, that we believe what he says about how his grace is sufficient and that we trust him at all times. And when we do that, we can give him praise despite the circumstances. Then we can say to him, no matter what's going on in our life, blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. We thank you that you understand our need and you have promised to give us grace for whatever place we're in. If we'll simply come to you and tap into the sufficiency of your incredible grace for us, we thank you. Thank you so much. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You have a wonderful week.